This podcast is brought to you by DC Music Publishing. Find out more at dcmusicpublishing.co.uk. Hello, my name's Danny Champion. I'm a music publisher with a small company called DC Music Publishing. I'm also a music supervisor and I've been in the music business for the last 20 years. And this is my music industry, music business podcast, where I talk to a whole range of music industry professionals about their careers in music, about how they got into the industry, why they got into the industry, where their roles have taken them, what they've learned on the way, and everything in between. This episode is with a lawyer friend of mine called Emma Harding. Emma is another Hertfordshire University alumni and uh, I spoke to her in January of this year, 2022. We talked about how you become a lawyer um, and why she in particular went down that path. Her career as in-house counsel at Universal Records um, and then her time as an associate solicitor at SSB and what she's gone on to do since leaving SSB. We also talk about her style as a lawyer and why emerging acts should not be afraid of reaching out to lawyers and why lawyers are so important. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Emma Harding. elephant in the room out the way are you working Mm. from home at the moment due to coronavirus and how are coronavirusy things where you are yeah they're not too well coronavirus is everywhere i mean really (laughs) i feel like i'm lucky not to have it right now um or in the minority anyway are you still Um, in north london still in north london our offices opened i think for about a week and then they shut again Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much been working from home this entire time, um, which I don't mind too much. From what okay. you from what you do currently, is the working from home thing actually more than doable? Are you going to be kind of continuing to do this even after I say after all this all these shenanigans uh, pass us by? Are you going to be flexi timing it and things like that, or are you kind of itching to get back in? I'm itching in ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I do, I can do at home. It's mostly contracts, or actually it's all contracts, Mm -hmm. video calls. But when I did go back into the office for that brief time, it was, I was still doing a bit of video calls for meetings, you know, so it was a bit, I do it all at home. I think going into the office, it would be for the social interaction. Yeah. rather than for the day-to-day work. I like to think that that's a positive that's come out of all of this, that this kind of new way of working, that there is this sense, especially in somewhere like London, I always remember the kind of the ethos was very much come in, rain or shine, whether you're ill or not, come into the office because we want you to be in the office, when actually it wasn't quite that necessary. And, you know, I would, I'm someone that I think would have really benefited from you know, being able to go in the office maybe two or three days a week, but working from yeah. home other days and, and it being a little bit more, I guess, relaxed. In that yeah, I'm, I'm hugely pro-flexible working. I mean, as I just said, I spend all of my time sitting at a computer. It's sedentary work and I don't know how many disabled lawyers there are, you know. So it kind of it opens up the door, I think, mm. um, for a lot of people. And I think it make, it will make a lot more jobs more accessible would be a great um something fantastic to come out of all of this uh, hardship Um, and also um, I think in the music industry especially burnout is so prevalent and it's almost become normalized um, and it shouldn't be yeah very Very, true very very flexi working yeah that's hopefully hopefully it's it's a positive thing that comes out of all this Um, 
legal counsel that's your current title okay yeah sounds right <laughs> from, from what i can gather what's it what's that yeah, mean what's that mean is. are you does that just mean in-house lawyer what does yes so are you yes, you're you're exactly. writing contracts you're negotiating contracts you're Correct. reading through things what else does it what else does it involve well i'm at a media company at the moment so it's a little bit different to music um but essentially it's still commercial contracts involving intellectual property rights mm -hmm. uh, particularly copyrights um the, the majority of my work i would say is negotiating um and drafting um i think the reason i or probably my main motivation for moving into this area was to acquire more skills as a lawyer because okay. in the music business um i think a large part of my job was um advising on the business i mean you can't you definitely can't be a competent music lawyer unless you know the business mm -hmm. and so much of it was that um and I could see, I mean, there was so much change that I saw happening um, from my time in the music industry. When I think back to when I was at Mercury Records, we didn't even have a digital marketing department, <laughs> um, which feels crazy now. And I remember there was um, a marketing assistant who got given like a desk in the middle of the office and he was digital marketing department. Mm -hmm. um, and by the time I left, it had grown exponentially and now it's a critical arm of any label. Yeah. Um, so the same thing sort of happened when I was at SSB. Um, I saw a lot more endorsement deals come through the door and especially with, you know, TikTok and um, who knows where it's going, you know, with NFTs, etc. It's just it's so... It's changing so so quickly mm -hmm. um, and i definitely saw that there was a world where music intersected with branding and advertising and because all of my experience so far was in music i really wanted to challenge myself and mm -hmm. carve out a niche i suppose because um yeah the worlds were definitely colliding and i, and I really wanted to gain more knowledge in the branding and endorsement side of it do you from from the other lawyers that you've met in your career, currently in the wider media industry rather than just the music industry, and then also within the music industry, would you say that your kind of personality type is quite standard for lawyers, or would you class yourself as a little bit of an outlier within the the legal community? Are you do you, do you think you're a little bit different? You attack things a, a slightly differently. Yeah, I would say a bit of both. I say every lawyer has to have a desire to want to continue learning because the law is always changing and updating and so you have to you have to enjoy or at least be mindful of of those changes mm -hmm. um uh, so you have to be curious um and you <clears throat> would have to be very diligent and pay attention to the detail because you're looking at contracts you know it's all in the detail so those are very common traits i would say that every lawyer has um where I'm different, I would say there's probably two types of music lawyer, if I want to be completely, um, you know, honest, like mm -hmm. you have the, more of the back, back of the house lawyers, and then you have the rainmakers who really like going to gigs and getting new artists, um, and they thrive on that. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have the others that probably like the contract work most. Um, and I would probably say I'm more of the latter. Um, right. I... I love going to gigs, but I also like having an early night. So it's a bit of a paradox <laughs> for me. <Yeah. laughs> it takes me ages to recover now if I have a late night. <laughs> oh, it only gets worse. It only gets worse. Trust me. Why? Why law in the first place? What drew what drew you to doing a, a degree in law, uh, and meeting us lot who are um, finding yourself in the music industry? Because was the music industry as well something that you were thinking about, or was it just literally no, no. I'm interested in this? Let's see where it all takes me. Yeah, I didn't know that music lawyer was an occupation you could have. I didn't know it existed. Um, and so my story is, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer because I like rules and negotiating and feeling like, you know, I've put something in and I've got a good return on it. Like mm -hmm. I like that, I feel 
a lot of satisfaction out of that. So I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. I don't from know, from how old? Well, my dad said seven. Wow. I think, yeah, I think I said to him once, like, how can I earn some money? And he said, be a doctor or a lawyer. But I wasn't very good at math. <laughs> <laughs> so I, from a very early age, like I was very, very determined. Um, and then I went to university, as you know, because we went mm-hmm. together. And I, I kind of, I, I didn't know exactly what law I wanted to go into, but music definitely wasn't on my radar at all. Um, but then I kept hanging out with people doing a music industry management course, like you. Um, and I think it was Luke who you've had on this show yep. already, who works at Capitol Records. He said to me, "Well, why don't you be a music lawyer?" And I said, "Don't be silly, Luke. That doesn't. That's not a thing." <laughs> Um, and then like fast forward, I think it took me years because I did a bit of criminal law, a bit of family law, a bit of immigration law. I really didn't enjoy any of them. And I realized I was going to gigs in the evening with my friends who all worked in music and I was really enjoying that. And that was my escape from work. And then the penny dropped. I don't know why it took me such a long time, but the penny drops that actually this could be my work. Like I could enjoy my work and Mm -hmm. I could be passionate about my work. Um, and so I read Anne Harrison's book um, and really looked into um, music law. Um, and I wrote lots of letters to lots of people asking for work experience. Um, and then I, I got my first job at Mercury in music. And the rest is history. Yeah. So what's, what's it take to become a lawyer? Walk me through the process if somebody wants to become a lawyer, so, so someone who at the moment, my daughter is seven, so around mm-hmm. about the same age as you deciding to be a lawyer. So if she wants to become a lawyer in future, what's she going to need to do? I would say you, you have to really want it because I haven't found it easy. Maybe it comes easy to you, but to other people. Um, but I found it very challenging at times one you would need to do the the law degree or qualify Um, and i do think that that's an important part of it i mean it sounds obvious um but having the foundations of law um, is important if you want to be a music lawyer i don't know how um you know the route the route for any other types of law but for music law you really have to know the business um so you would have to be interested in what everyone does in the business mm-hmm. and what part, part they play in the business. Um, so I would say for what it takes to be a music lawyer, so yes, you have to have your foundation principles, you have to know the law, etc. But it's so much more than that. You have to really love what you do because it is long hours a lot of the time, I think. Um, and you have, it's it's, I found it very high pressure because you're dealing with human beings and people's dreams and their careers are in your hands, essentially, you know, you're there to to protect them and to help monetize uh, their creativity or to help them do that. It's a lot of responsibility. And so you you have to be very passionate about championing the creatives um, and really wanting the best for them because, and that's probably one difference working in private practice and working in houses, um it's it's challenging working with with people because there is that response self you know obviously you're responsible in any role but when somebody puts their career in a deal for example that you're negotiating mm-hmm. um you, you have to do your absolute best for them and you you sometimes take it home because it's not it's not a contract at the other end it's a real person and you care about them and you you know yeah, you're emotionally yeah. involved in them but so Get, getting the you know you you spent time in house you said you spent time at law firms and I think there's a couple of law firms that you've spent time at either on a short term basis as you were still training or as an associate so you know to be, to to get that associate position to get to the level that you were at before you left um, and you know to to be in-house legal counsel in the way that you are now what exactly are the qualifications that you need and how long does it take because it's not it's you know lawyer isn't just the the kind of the thing where you do a degree and then you know that there are subsequent things that you have to do to get certain letters 
at the end of your yeah. name, and there are certain bit like architect, bit like um, doctor as well. That there are certain other things that you always have to do. So, can you kind of walk me through some of those? Yeah, it's probably well. changed a bit now. I would say there's there may be more routes now to qualify, um, but my route was doing the law degree, which mm -hmm. I believe you, you still need. And if you don't do that, then you can do a conversion. Yep. Um, and then I did a postgrad, which is called the LPC. Mm -hmm. So if you do the conversion, I believe you still need to do the LPC as well. So there's the postgrad in there. And then you have to do, and again, this may have changed, but you have to do two years training at a firm or in-house. Um, and you need to be, you know, do a training diary and, and have your work assessed by a training supervisor. And then once you've done that, that's the last right. checkbox. I think there's another route you can do now where if you've got X amount of years experience or, um, you know, if you have somebody to sign off on, on your ability, I, I think that might be slightly different. But essentially, okay. yeah, it is, it is, you need to, there are certain boxes you need to tick before you can become qualified. So the the LPC bit of it is is what it's coursework, it's an exam. Um, both, I think. Oh, nice. It depends what <laughs> provider. I feel, yeah, these. I'm probably not best placed to answer these questions anymore because my where I did the LPC, I don't think they even exist anymore. Like, I think it's changed quite a bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I googled. Yeah, I I I, I did mine in Oxford. I spent a year in Oxford, um, which was great experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and I I did part coursework, part exams, um, but you can do it part time. I know I know that as mm -hmm. well. And and during time. all of that stuff, during your time at Hertfordshire and during your time doing the LPC, you it's very very broad, the focus yes. that you're doing. You're yes. kind of dipping in and out of a little bit of everything, just to get kind of the 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 broad strokes. You haven't picked a lane just yet Correct. so even if even if you know that you want to be an entertainment lawyer throughout yeah, that process you are doing criminal equity land all all the all, yeah. all the other bits and That's pieces correct. just so you've got kind of a sprinkling of everything yeah does that sprinkling help when you kind of start to focus on the entertainment media side of things you know, has your grounding in looking into criminal and, and land law and stuff like that given you the necessary tools or was it just something that you had to do in order to get to the to the level that or to get to the bit that you wanted? I mean, it probably was helpful in terms of learning new skills um, and having an understanding of the legal ecosystem. But in terms of whether or not I apply what I learned in conveyancing, I mean, do you remember the Pythagoras theorem? I don't. I don't. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, entertainment law is is very niche. Um, it's because it's so much about the people and the business. It's, yeah. it's, I would say when. I was at SSB. Ten percent of my job was the law. Oh wow! Um, okay, rest, as small as that. Yeah, and then the rest was the business. It's what's normal, what's standard here. What are the you know what are the standards that companies like labels have put in place? What's been happening for the last fifteen years? What are the new changes? Who is this person? You know what is what is their track record like? Can you try? You know, would they be a good person to partner with? um what's going on in the industry at the moment it was the, i would say the legal side of it was was a very small part of my day-to-day -day. so if we if we take your time at universal and your time at ssb as a as a way of comparing I guess your time at Universal was much more focusing on the law stuff. You were drawing up the contracts, you were negotiating the deals, whereas the SSB stuff. So can you give me a kind of a little bit of insight into those differences between in-house at a record label and uh, kind of for a, a private firm that is mainly 
focusing on working with the talent as opposed to the companies. I know that there are a few outliers and examples there, but for the most part, you kind of switch sides, essentially. Mm -hmm. I did, yeah, I did switch sides. That's how I would I would say it. When I was at Universal, um, it was great. I had a fantastic mentor, Mark Berman, who, um, I actually had everyone who I've worked with has been has been fabulous. I've mm -hmm. been very fortunate. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's the contracts, day to day contracts, producer agreements, featured artist agreements. Uh, you know, sometimes I got to work on the recording agreements, although most of the time that was the director. Um, and you're, it's it's a bit more you're advising the business, so it's um, it's a bit more like clockwork and also universal. And I believe. Yeah, so all, all the majors work like this is you have the recording side and then you have the publishing side and they're completely separate. Yep. So I I had a lot of knowledge on the recording side. And so that's one of the reasons I, well, is the reason I would went to SSB because it's private practice. So you're working for artists, songwriters, producers, musicians, and the world, is, the music world is a lot bigger than just the recorded music side in a major mm -hmm. you know you, you have so many different contracts um to look at um and advice to give them it's not just contract based you know sometimes they come to you for advice mm -hmm. um some you know sometimes they've got themselves into a pickle and they want to get out of it um but you would be dealing with their publishing contracts their recording contracts sometimes they didn't want a recording deal so um you would, you would be helping them kind of holistically um as well merchandise contracts endorsement contracts um, I mean, there's probably lots that I'm not, you know, book publishing, you know, they write a book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, it's, so it's, it's almost in a sense. way, you're, you're kind of the movements that you've taken since your time at Universal have kind of been, you know, the, the move that you did from Universal to SSB was very much, I'm, I'm pigeonholed here, I want to expand that. Yeah. And then when you left SSB, Again, it was because your pigeonhole, it's a bigger pigeonhole that you were in, but you still felt like you were in a, yeah. you were in a kind of a small field and you wanted to greatly expand that sphere out again. Yeah, yeah that's exactly how I felt. Um, and I also wanted to be ahead of the curve. You know, um, I, I saw that there was a, a, a place where two different industries were intersecting. Um, and I, I want to be the best lawyer I can be. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was an opportunity for me um, to be able to deliver more, I suppose, to, to clients. Okay. Because at SSB, we had a lot of high profile clients. Mm -hmm. um, and when I first started, it was your conventional, you know, women pop stars that were getting the deals. Um, and they were few and far between. But then by the time I'd left, it was across the board. Yeah. Emerging artists were getting deals. Like, ev ev you know, it was everyone who wanted one. Mm -hmm. um, it was open to them. It was a new avenue. You worked with a very broad range of acts at that time. Um, emerging talent all the way up to, you know, your multinational million selling uh, artists and things like that. What what are some of the conversations that you're having with with them? What's what, how how does the world of sponsorships, brand partnerships, and endorsements differ between uh, you know an Adele to uh, um, you know what one of your clients that was on the up and up? Um, you know, can can you kind of outline some as a, as their lawyer some of the conversations that you were having, some of the the actual work that you were doing on a day to day basis? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, one that I find really interesting to explore. Essentially, the deal terms are the same because in any endorsement deal, you're going to have you know the term as with any music contract. Essentially, you have the term, which is the length of the deal. Exclusivity might be factored in there. Um, obligations you know what the talent has to do what the artist has to do to fulfill um, its obligations under the deal um, grant of rights i.e can they use approved images is it just the name is it you know um, just a, a soundtrack for example it could be lots of things so essentially the deal is all the same i would say when you get to um, the more high profile higher value deals mm -hmm. 
you have to be so strategic. Um, and I was really fortunate to work with branding agents and managers who were really skilled in what they did because the approvals was a massive part of it um, and control. Um, as with any music contract, control and approvals is important in creative control. Um, but when you're when you when you have some, like hugely lucrative deals on the table, or even if you don't, it's really important to manage your portfolio correctly because if you grant exclusivity that's too wide, it prevents you from like doing other deals. If you do one that doesn't feel authentic, it prevents you from doing other deals. Mm -hmm. So the the types of approvals that you look at are so granular. You know, like I don't want to be, I don't want to pop up on Instagram as a sponsored post more than one time a day, for example. Like you can get so minute with the details. How long were um, these contracts? Not as long as recording deals, <laughs> funnily enough. And why they're quite fun is because it's new ground. Um, the You can ask for something completely new and different and it's likely you'll get it. Whereas with traditional recording deals, you know, if you sign a deal with a major label, it's probably going to look the same as the 100 other deals. You know, it's going to follow the same structure or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you ask for something ridiculous, you probably won't get it. But if you ask for something ridiculous with a an endorsement deal, you might just get it. Such as? So it's quite exciting. Can you um, give me a for instance without mentioning any names? So, for example, I only want models who are diverse in uh, like race, in size, um, in appearance, um, and they're the only ones who are allowed to wear my, you know, the clothes that I'm endorsing, for example. Okay. You wouldn't have that control um, or, or, yeah, you, I don't think you would have that much say necessarily. And it's, it's really, it's hard to compare because it's kind of apples and oranges. Were you... Were you, were you representing, you know, how new did some of the, the artists that you were representing get? You know, were they brand new with like, with no real following, just kind of, you know, you, yeah, the was, music really just kind of, kind of, yeah, the, mu the music got you hooked even before they'd really got anywhere and you kind of were involved at, you know, ground zero sort of thing. Yes. Um, a lot of the time, um, if I would hear a song and I would personally think it's a great song, um, I really like lyrics. Um, that's, that's something that used to draw me to talent a lot or artists, songwriters. Right. Um, and maybe it was a connection I, I could feel. So I really, if I, if I liked a song with the lyrics, mm -hmm. um, and they resonated with me, um, I would, I would take a huge interest in them. Um, but yeah, it's, I think lawyers tend to to engage or have clients very early on, probably earlier on than managers when they're on board or booking agents. They're, they're quite often the first people to be on board uh, with emerging talent. And it's a good place for lawyers to be as well because then the lawyer can advise on what they need, the building blocks, you know, you, yeah. you know, i.e. you should get a manager, you should get a an accountant, and et cetera. Because, well, you know, I, I work with a lot of, very very emerging talent i have a music publishing roster full of full of emerging talent um these days and a lot of them are wary when it comes to the legal side of things because they see you're going to negotiate a deal for me and it's going to cost me x hundreds of pounds so to those people out there after you've just said that lawyers get involved with emerging talent much earlier and in fact it's something that a lot of them do what what should those emerging talent you know not be afraid of you know are they suddenly going to get stuck with a bill immediately or is the kind of the general consensus of the working relationship uh, if I like your music I'll work with you until you until we can make some money together is that how it works yeah, so every lawyer is different. Okay. Um, you know, so for me, well, actually, every lawyer is different in how they will charge because some lawyers might charge from the get-go. Some might defer their fees and say, look, I'm going to clock my hours. I'm going to record how many hours I spend or minutes <laughs> I spend. Um, and then once you get your record deal or your publishing deal um, and you get a large um, influx of income, then you can pay me back um, right. and then you'll start 
from zero again. So some people work like that. Yeah. Some people um, just really purely believe that the talent is going to be huge and say so they'll work for free uh, for a time. Um, and as I say, other people, they, they charge from the get-go. Um, you know, this is my hourly rate and that's it. So um, it's just, And it's just about essentially asking. Yeah, what all lawyers have to do though, um, and it's part of the regulatory requirements, is you have to be very transparent with your fees. So if you have a lawyer who's not being transparent with your fees, you know, that's a massive red flag. Mm -hmm. um, you should know exactly how much you'll be charged and when you'll be charged and what you're being charged for. Um, it, it should be very, very clear. There should never be a case where you get a bill and you don't expect it. Did you, because I, I remember pointing uh, an, an old student of mine in your direction from Manchester. Yeah. Did you continue to work with her? I did, yes. Okay. Yeah. Was that very um, much kind of just simple contract negotiations or where, where did that relationship go to? Um, so when working with emerging talents, my, I would say would be my job is threefold. Uh -huh. Firstly, it's being a sounding board for the artist um, and explaining to them what's normal, what's not normal. The second is being the lawyer and negotiating the contracts per their instructions. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other is general advice. So I suppose where, where I was with the sounding board, where that differs is um, a lot of the time you are, as a lawyer, you are the only neutral person. I mean, yes, you're, you are charging the client, but you have no other incentive. You yeah, have yeah. to act in the artist's best interest. So not only are you giving them general advice you have to um you know you your client has a lot of trust in you because there is no hidden agenda there um mm -hmm. and probably every other person who they would look to engage would earn commission in some way or other or there would be an interest there so um when working with emerging talent i would say it's threefold <laughs> I'm really keen to find out your insight into negotiation. You've, you've, you've said to me numerous times that one of the things that you've always liked about your job is contracts. You're, you're, a, you're a contract nerd. You like the, the nitty gritty of them <laughs> and things like that. Does that extend to the act of negotiating them and the kind of the, the game of chess sometimes that you have to play? Yeah, definitely. What I've learned is that every lawyer is different. Right. And I used to try to mirror, you know, my, the people who I was training from, you know, the partners of the law firm, the directors, etc. But what I've learned is everyone's style is completely different. Okay. Personally, what, what works for me is I truly believe you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Mm -hmm. And especially with music being such a relationship business, if you fly into uh, negotiation being really aggressive and demanding and completely unreasonable, um, you're just going to annoy the other side. You're just going to piss them off. They're not going to want to work with you. It's also going to affect your client because then they're going to be like, well, we love working with you, but your lawyer's a nightmare and we can't be bothered to deal with it. Yeah. But it works for some people, but personally, it doesn't work for me. Um, what works for me is, um, yes, being firm is important. But I quite like explaining why I want something because I've found that if you one get on the phone is really helpful with the other side. Don't be afraid to speak to the other side of the phone. Mm -hmm. um, and if you explain where you're coming from, e.g., well, look, in my client's last deal, they really got burned in this, so they just want to make sure that they have this protection in the contract, and that's why I'm doing it. You know, I'm not trying to be, you know, be clever or sneak anything in here. Like, this is the reason why a lot of people are understanding. I mean, we're all humans, uh, you know, in yeah, this yeah. business. Um, and I, I, I personally find that works. It also helps speed up the deal as well, because if you're just going backwards and forwards on email, you might essentially be trying to achieve the same thing, but it's just waste, it's wasting time and you're not really getting anywhere. Um, so I would definitely say, like, a friendly conversation just to say, look, I need to know where you're coming from here. This mm -hmm. is where I'm coming from. How can we find a solution? Because especially in music, I don't I don't work in the litigation side where it becomes contentious. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, it's two 
two collaborators wanting to partner together it's a it's a positive it should be a positive experience yeah so you want to get the best for everybody for it to be you know a, a great deal so that's my personal um experience of negotiation it's it's interesting that because i i've taught legal modules um and i've taught legal aspects of modules so for instance you know i've taught i run a music publisher i've been in music publishing and synchronization for nearly 20 years now which makes me feel really old um i always touch on the contractual side of things obviously it's going to be very superficial but it's it's very much kind of giving insight and kind of trying to demystify it a little bit especially to songwriters and there, there seems to be and it might just be because of the, 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 the type of songwriter that I'm talking to, but there does still seem to be kind of this mistrust that the, you're going to give me a contract and it's automatically going to be trying to make my life difficult. Or, you're, you know, this contract means that you don't want to work with me holistically. You want to ruin my life and you want to make, you just want to take, and it's it's not like that at all, is it? It's too business or it's a business and an individual that want to that want to work together for a common common goal do you have you seen or in the time that you spent at ssb did you see a change in the way that contracts were put together did you see artists or did, did you have conversations with artists who were much more open and they wanted to find company, you know, they understood that these companies aren't just going to be screwing them over the first chance that they get. Or was there was yeah. there an element of you, they came to the party with, with kind of with a with a mistrust? Well, I think the mistrust is natural because contracts are scary. I deal with them every day. And yet when one is in my name, automatically my guard goes up because just let's face it, like contracts are scary. Um, and I also think with music contracts, I don't know, it would be interesting if anyone listening knows of any other industry like this, where you can literally own somebody's services for five plus years or potentially forever. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there are some publishing contracts in, in, in the US, especially that you just can't get out of if you never fulfill that minimum commitment, like there is no backstop. Yeah. So um, I don't know any other industry, like if I was going to work for somebody, as a lawyer and they said okay but we're gonna own your services for the whatever you do right whatever you do we're gonna own your services and collect income from your services for the next 10 years i would say what's like i'm on a you know three month notice period that is crazy so i feel like it's the only industry (laughs) (laughs) where that happens it's it's an interesting one i guess i've i've got fascinated by the the kind of the business side and the background and the legal side of professional sport recently and that can kind of be seen as in some way again that kind of it's the only industry where as a as like as a player whether it's football cricket American football basketball whatever you can't just hand your notice in and leave somebody has to buy you can you imagine if that was how it worked for you that if you wanted to leave your job as a lawyer another law firm had to come over and buy you off the law firm that you already work for it's It's kind of odd when you think about it and so i guess it's kind of very similar in that way that you know it it feels strange to kind of say yeah well and it's it's something it's you're dealing with products as well that are so personal to people because if you're you know a songwriter especially like you you give a part of you in your songs like they they can mean so much to you and then you're trusting somebody with it so i i do understand the apprehension of contracts like as soon as you present a contract in front of somebody um they are scary um but what i have seen recently like with companies like your your publishing company and others is shorter term contracts to kind of get away from that um feeling and also with with spotify and people being able to release songs more easily and record songs probably more cheaply than say 20 years ago mm-hmm. um yeah i would say yeah the, the, the contracts have have changed there's more variety now 
you know you don't have to to sign your life away to a major there are mm -hmm. different routes there's more choice for the talent so there should be more choice to try and entice the talent to work with you i think one of the yeah. things that i've i i'm i'm not in a position whereby i'm able to offer financial advances yet i'd love to mm -hmm. get there um but it's very much uh, I'm offering my time, my service, my passion, my interest in, in the careers of the artists and songwriters that I'm working with. And so I, you know, I, in good conscience, I can't turn around to them and say, right, I'm going to have your songs for the next 20 years because yeah. there's, there's value in those songs. And, and I, I preach, you've got to make sure that you keep that value. So I shouldn't, I can't really be seen as someone who's trying to, trying to yeah and what i would add take as some well, of that value for from, myself from my experience at ssb you asked if i saw any changes yes um what i did get from it is that some of the most successful people in the industry have those relationships built on trust so you know you don't necessarily need to have a management contract yeah you could have like a handshake agreement um and if someone does a good job, you know, they'll likely want to keep working with you. Mm -hmm. So you might not be able to offer advances right now, but if you, if, if a songwriter feels that you really care and you're trying your hardest and you keep in contact with them and you're really pushing their songs, um, you know, why wouldn't they want to stay with you? So um, it being, I think I've maybe you've said this too many times on the podcast already, but it is a relationship business and um, you can have a contract and tie someone in for years and years and years but is that going to be a fruitful relationship probably not if, yeah. if both sides aren't working collaboratively together mm -hmm. or you could have you know a rolling contract um, with enough enough term for you to be able to really get your teeth sunk into a project mm -hmm. uh, but there is a great relationship there and it and it can continue <laughs> How did you find um, being a woman in this area of the business? Did you think, did you find, especially in the music uh, business, music business gender divide is still not great. Uh, it's very much masculine or male skewed. So, and from my knowledge, especially in private practice, there's not an enormous number of women in there. So how did you find it as a woman in that area of the business it's definitely improved a lot there's still a way to go for me i i've always had great uh, managers um who have given me opportunities mm -hmm. um or allowed me to have the opportunities um so i'm very grateful for that i would say um in terms of the culture like the the culture has improved a lot because yeah. when I first started, um, it was not like there were some things I look back at and I just think that is not okay. Like I can't believe that that was not taken to HR. <laughs> um, but you kind of just put up with it at the time because you just think, oh, this is music. You know, this these are the people in leadership positions or whatever. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'd say the culture has improved. I would say music as a business, it seems we're going in the right way, but it feels very slow. I'm always curious, especially in those kind of those very niche areas of a niche industry like law, you know, there's not an enormous number of yeah. music lawyers out there. And when you suddenly realise that like 80% of them are of one gender, that that can that feel like that there's a bit of a barrier in in the way of people wanting to get in there i i'd like to think that it's that barrier is coming down and that there is more yeah. um women interested in becoming yeah. lawyers in the same way that you were do you see that yeah i mean i think i think the world's not short of women who want to be lawyers 100 percent um what what i perhaps it's because i'm working in media now for the past year which is so i can see that they are as, a, as an industry totally different right 
especially when it comes to um i tell you what, this is a, i think this is where music should catch up as well perhaps they're already doing it i'm not sure because it's been a while since i was in-house in a music company yeah but um nepotism essentially um when you know somebody who's you know my dad works here so i'm going to get work experience and you get your foot in the door yeah so i think that that is a huge problem in music i um, guess i guess it's said it's a small industry you know yeah it, it pitches really it pitches well above his weight if you look at the amount of money that it generates versus the number of people who work in it there isn't yeah. you know for, for every for every a and r person that there is there's probably hundreds of people who want to be an a and r person and you just they're never going to suddenly expand those departments exponentially are they and so yeah i think and i've i've seen that as well that there's always uh if you can leverage against mm-hmm. you know knowing somebody already being somebody's nephew or cousin or anything like that you you or even just simple as you live in london yeah so you might not know anybody but just because you live a tube ride away it means that you can do that that free internship which gets you in front of certain people whereas if you live in birmingham or sheffield or something like that it's a hell of a lot harder to do yeah. that so yes i 100 percent agree with you and you're saying that because like the, the wider media entertainment industry is is bigger or it's just a different culture there that there's a it's much more i'd say it's a different culture okay we have in music we're probably we're if you know the sex drugs rock and roll i'm sure we've all heard the stories that were there before us it's not so that I'm anymore talking... is it it's veganism and marathon running these days. exactly yeah <laughs> but we but it 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 filters down yeah. doesn't it the culture is set at the top you know with work policies etc i also think as mentioned very briefly at the beginning of the podcast but burnout is a huge problem in music as well i think yeah. the um presenteeism and because everyone is so passionate about what they do um, but also there's so much pressure and time pressure. Yep. Was the um, expectation on you to basically be on call 24-7? SSB was very supportive. Okay. And so they would never want me to be. But of course, your clients, you answer to your clients. Right. All I did. Yeah. Um, you know, I could have had a policy where I didn't, but I, I did. And, uh, I think because yeah, I, I see that a lot. In, or rather, I, I saw that a lot, especially in London. I saw a lot of people in PR who, you know, you were, it was a Friday night, you were having a, a drink with them and, you know, their iPhone or BlackBerry or whatever it was at the time was always out answering emails Oh, yeah, there's like, like that. hardly any work-life balance or yeah. boundaries in place. Like, I remember I was in the cinema with a friend who I hadn't seen in ages and I had to leave during the middle of the film because the manager was like, no, you have to get this sorted now. And it was the same thing. It was like a Friday night not working hours and I couldn't leave at the end of the film I had to leave during the film um so yeah it's definitely I don't know what the solution is because it's not a nine-to-five job yeah but, I think that's the problem um, well not problem but yeah. I don't think there is a solution to that because on a really simple level you I mean I, re- I remember being on a date actually and having to leave the date part way through because yeah. we needed to confirm a sync deal that night because and that was the only time we could do it because the play out was the next day and the approval was coming from the states so it was it was it was merely a case of different time zones and so it wasn't even a manager getting arsy it was just we couldn't do this earlier because that whole part of the planet wasn't awake so now you've got to do it and i yeah, I think I don't think there is a solution to that. I would say we can be international and not limited to nine to five, but more mindful of our own one mental health um, and two boundaries um, and and balance. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, flexible working is 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 a good example. Um, if you work late. It would be great if you're not expected to get there at the crack of dawn the next day. Yeah. Uh, there has to be something. I think something's got to give because, um, you know, we are behind the curve. 
in music in, in this respect, I, I believe. Do you find from your current role outside of music, is there, is there, is there less of a last minute yes culture to it as well because that's one of the things that i always find that there was always uh oh this has got to be done because it, it it's going out tomorrow so like, well, why didn't we have this conversation a month ago exactly is that, there more of that sort of pre-planning in your in there's your more pre-planning where i am there's also a lot more support out there and a lot more awareness of mental well-being and self-care okay um yeah that's the, they're, they're very strong on that cool how did you find doing the stuff with Anne on that really expensive The Future of Media and Music Law book? Yeah, no, it was fantastic. Really great experience because I loved writing about my experience. Um, that was really enjoyable. Yeah. Um, because I think as well, um, you don't realise how much you have acquired um, in knowledge over the years. And then you put yeah, it on yeah. paper and you think, oh, wow, actually, this is very interesting. And I have learned a lot. Um, still a long way to go. But... It took a long time. I mean, I didn't appreciate how much I wrote one chapter uh, and it took ages. <laughs> it took so long. <laughs> it took me ages. Okay. So, yeah, so it, it might be a little bit before you, you come out with a. Volume uh, myself. Yeah, no wonder it's so expensive, actually, if that's how many hours have gone into it. Um, it takes a long time yeah. to write. You don't really appreciate it when you're reading it. Cool. Nice one. Thank you very much for chatting, Emma. It's been Thank lovely. Massive thanks to Emma for talking to me. It's always a pleasure to catch up with her. Uh, she's a lovely human being and she's full of knowledge and insight and all the wonderful things that I love about doing this podcast. Uh, you can find Emma on LinkedIn. Just search Emma Harding on there. Uh, the thing that she mentioned at the end of the podcast about her exciting thing that she's doing this year, I will make sure that I am shouting about that on all of my socials as and when it is uh, released. Uh, the music for the pod this year is by Bloompool. Search Bloompool on Spotify and listen to all of his stuff. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at bloom.pool and when you're searching on Instagram search for bloom slash pool. If you would like to get in touch with me here at the podcast please do so uh, via email at behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com you can also find me on Twitter at Danny Champion, on Instagram at DC Music Publishing. Um, and please do go to the website dcmusicpublishing.co.uk. Uh, there's plenty more of these episodes to come. So do come back, do share, do like, do subscribe, do, do review if you get the opportunity to. Um, these were a lot of fun to do. I hope you enjoy listening to them and I'll speak to you again very soon.